Welcome to another episode of the Class Clown Podcast. We are back at it. Uh, my editor did not like me screaming into the mic. <laughs> my name is Sheena Liao, taking you on the second half of season number three of the podcast. Bakit ako na wala? Why did I disappear for so long? Well, I promise. I will tell you all about it. I have so much going on in my life. Maybe even enough for one of my after-school specials. But before we get into that, let's get into this with my guest for this week, Mr. Jesse Appel. Jesse has one of the most interesting backgrounds out there. He is a white American based out of Beijing, China. So, China isn't the most conducive place as or I was not the most conducive place. It has changed things for comedy. But, after many, many years, our guy Jesse here has built one hell of a career for himself in Chinese stand-up and Chinese crosstalk comedy. What is Chinese crosstalk comedy? We will learn all about it on this episode. Because I'm such a nerd of for comedy that I want to learn about different styles of comedy. You know, whether it be traditional Chinese comedy, you know, that Japanese kabuki style that they do over there, or uh, even even the Filipino opera style of comedy. Each form of comedy is endemic to a place and reflective of its culture and its people. And this conversation I have with Jesse is just very uh, synonymous of that. It's a re- great representation of that. So I hope... First of all, you don't mind me using big words, but also you enjoy my conversation with Jesse Appel. On this week's episode of the Class Clown Podcast, I have somebody I met through my many, many journeys in the world of comedy. He is a stand-up comedian. I first met in China, of all places, as well as a tea expert. Let's bring on Jesse Appel on the Class Clown Podcast. Hey, Jesse. How are you doing? And I give you big props for getting my last name right. Nobody gets my last name pronunciation right. <laughs> hey, man, as somebody with a with a even harder last name, I know how that feels, you know? Yeah, so, I know, man. So it's great. I mean, how have you been? It's been a long time since we saw each other in person, for sure. It's been a few years, a good few years. And, and I'm glad that, you know, you agreed to do this little episode with me because 
I I have always found your background to be to be very interesting. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's a little you, unusual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for those of you that that are listening to this on Spotify, Jesse's actually a a white man who lived in China for yeah. uh, how long was it? Like a good so more than a I decade? lived in. I lived there for nine years. Yeah, nine so like years. a little over nine years if you count my time studying abroad. So it's it's good. We need that radio thing for the the disclaimer though. It's like Jesse is a white man, just in case yeah. you did not know. It's yes. important. <laughs> yeah, 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 because a lot of people might be thinking of uh, something else. Anyway, for 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 those of you that uh, the uh, want to, the, those of us rather that want to know, how did you find yourself in China of all places? Well, I was always into languages and cultures. And right. um, when I was in uh, school, I studied a little Chinese and a little Spanish. And then yeah. I decided that, you know, when I was in college, I definitely wanted to study abroad and Chinese, like China felt very interesting. So I figured I'd go to China. And uh, so I studied abroad in Beijing. And then uh, while I was in Beijing, I also realized that if you're living abroad, you know, a sense of humor is really important for survival. Right. You need yeah. it. Like, it's not a, it's not a optional. <laughs> the two um, things you need in China are a sense of humor and a Chinese language. That's what you Yes, need. exactly. <laughs> if you, and if you have both of those, you can actually do quite a bit in China, as I found out. So as, um, and that was my other hobby is back in, um, uh, back in America, I had done improv comedy all throughout high school, all throughout right. college. And so I got to China and I was studying abroad, learning the language and also started asking like, what's the comedy like here? And uh, that's when I discovered the uh, very, very small at that time, Chinese stand up and improv comedy scenes. Um, and then also the traditional style of Chinese comedy, the Xiangsheng crosstalk comedy, right. where I wound up uh, after graduating, I applied for and got a Fulbright grant to go research nice. the Chinese comedy. And uh, so my first job out of that's how I came to do Chinese comedy is my first job out of college. I was uh, basically apprenticed to a master comedian mm, for what I thought okay. would be what I thought would be a year's fellowship. And then after the year, I just was having so much fun doing it. I just kept studying with him and then, you know, turn around. It's been a decade of doing Chinese comedy. So, wow. All right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. A lot to unpack there. But yeah. A lot first... to unpack. I'm sorry. I was, no, I it's fine. It's fine. It makes for a great episode. I don't have to talk as much. Um, but for, for you, uh, you started out with the, the stand-up scene and the uh, improv scene in China. Now, I spoke to Turner Sparks about this uh, briefly, but um, could you explain to me what the early days were like in, in the Chinese stand-up and improv oh, scene? Yeah. Were you all uh, expats? Were you all were some there well, some foreigners who were watching, etc.? There were there were two scenes from the beginning. There was always a Chinese scene and an English scene. So the English scene at the very beginning was bigger than the Chinese scene. And um, a lot of the people who started the Chinese scene did the English scene first. So there were expats. We had a, a, a fantastic place called the Hot Cat Club. May it rest in peace, you know, um, uh, place not there anymore. Right. But um, we would do these shows and and it was a great place for people from all around the world to uh, be able to come and talk about life in China and just what was going on. And it was uh, it was a ton of fun. Uh, and some of the Chinese from that scene wound up starting their own Chinese open mics and stuff like that. Mm. And um, and that was really early days. Like I really am not exaggerating. There were probably 10 people in the whole country that knew what stand-up was that we're doing Chinese comedy. Like there were wow. not a lot of people. And so the audience didn't even know 
at the time and still the translation for stand up in Chinese is talk is a talk show talk show because wow, it's okay. a show where you talk and it was kind of like cool to have the western talk show as the word so as a result like you know Oprah was talk show Chris Rock was talk show right. you know Ellen DeGeneres was talk show it's so we all would, it's all talk show no matter it's all talk show and so in the early days we would be at like a bar trying to do jokes and like people in the front row there'd be like six people in the audience and somebody be like is there going to be a guest like what is uh, this like yeah. uh and so they just nobody knew and so and it's really amazing to look back. That was only 10 years ago. And now the stand-up scene in China, the Chinese scene has just absolutely blown up. There's huge TV shows. Right. There's like, you know, you know, at least a dozen, maybe two dozen pretty well-known Chinese stand-up comics. Mm. Uh, there's like uh, people that, you know, agencies, tours, whatever, mm. you know, they sold out 2000 seats in uh, Melbourne doing Chinese comedy shows with the oh, wow. people that got famous in the mainland. Like it's a big deal. So um, the scene has really blown up. Improv is still fairly small, but um, but like, and the expat scene seems to be smaller than it was 10 years ago because China's kind of gotten like more and more closed over the last decade. And so fewer expats live in Beijing now and like there's less room to do expat-y stuff than mm. there was 10 years ago, unfortunately. But it was it was a it was a hoot being at the beginning of the scene. I had a ton of fun. Right, Every day right. was fun. Right. No, I, you know, as somebody who does stand up in a place where stand up isn't actually as accepted or as well known, I and I completely understand because when we were start, starting out, out here in the Philippines, our stand up scene had to go up with what Filipinos know of stand up. And mm -hmm. that was more a burlesque show than, yeah. uh, than anything else. Right. I remember you told me a little bit about this. It was fascinating. It was like you, it was almost like you had to work as part of a variety show, right? right. There'd be other yeah, acts, yeah. right? Right, right. Usually what would happen in the early, early days of Philippine stand-up comedy, we would go in between bands or sometimes we'd, we'd crash other people's open mics because that's more in our lane than say yeah. the traditional open, uh, the traditional stand-up comedy here, which we've mm. done, of course, but then, you know, at the end of the day, it's still like completely different world. So yeah. you know, I guess like like China, we too have gotten so huge uh, over the past uh, few months because of, of people like Joe Coy who drop yeah. by and do that's that specials here. So uh, at great. least we're we're at least uh, in in some way or fashion we're still on the map here doing doing our thing. But again, the reason I only bring this up is because you mentioned something early on about uh, traditional Chinese comedy, which is, yeah. like, as a comedy nerd myself, I like knowing about different kinds of comedy as well. Mm -hmm. So can you uh, talk about that a bit? Sure. I mean, I love this stuff. I, I had no idea this existed before I went to China. And then if you, if you like take a cab ride in Beijing, a lot of the Beijing cabbies will be listening to stuff and then people are laughing. And I would ask them like, what is this? And they're like, oh, that's, that's Jiangsheng. That's crosstalk. I'm like, what is crosstalk? And it's basically, it's a, it's a comedy style where you have a, it's like a joker and a straight man. And they have like a pre-written comedy dialogue that they go back and forth. So they kind of have like a conversation with each other that's set up to be funny. Um, but also there's no fourth wall because it's mm. comedy. So like if the audience sneezes or whatever, you work that into the bit or like, you know, if you want to make fun of somebody in the audience or somebody's heckling or whatever, that's always like fair game. Um, 
And so they're it's also, not, yeah. it's not like a sketch or anything. Else. It's not a, it's kind, it's not really a sketch. Like a sketch, you play characters in, in crosstalk, you actually play crosstalk performers. It's a little mm. bit meta. Like, you know, mm. if we were on stage together, I'd be like, hey, everybody, I'm Jesse. I'm a stand, I'm a Xiangsheng performer, and I'm going to be doing this comedy routine for you tonight, um, which is a little bit on the nose, but right. it, it kind of sets up this, this interesting, uh, relationship with the audience where it's like in stand up, it's just you. Like, I'm Jesse. There is no other, like, there is no other anything. Right. In Xiangsheng, I play a comedian. Mm. So, so it's a, li- it's almost like there's a little bit more of a wall between you and the audience, but that allows you, ironically, in a culture like China, where like truly opening yourself up is really worrying to everybody. Right. It allows you to kind of really open yourself up, but you always have this deniability of like, no, 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 I didn't say that thing or that politically sensitive right. thing. I'm playing a, a character of a comedian who said that thing. So there's um, like a facade almost. Yeah, then, but but, but just... the facade the facade is very thin though. You're basically mm. yourself. You know, right. it's like a comedian. Like like can anyone really pull off any comedy that they can't do? You right. know, like it, it like so. So basically, it's a two person thing. You have a joker and a straight man. You go back and forth and back and forth. And um, timing is very important. Um, uh, a, the they have a, uh, it's all taught master to students. So for the last like 200 years, there's actually like a family tree where this, stu- this master oh, wow. took that student and that student took that student. And people actually, um, once you join into that, it really is like a family. Mm. Like, you know, you have new uncles and, and you know, parents and aunties and stuff like that. And wow. so even in Los Angeles, of all the things I was expecting, I was surprised. I had somebody contacted me through a friend of a friend and they they sent me a message and they're like, do you know who I am? I'm like, I don't know who you are. And she was like, um, I am your your comedy master's uh, master's comedy partner's granddaughter. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And she's like, come over to my house for dinner. Like, let auntie. Oh, wow. Dinner. That's intense. Okay. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really a family. They're like, you know, you're in the family if you've apprenticed and everybody knows who has apprenticed and hasn't. So right. it's um that, that community element is really cool. It also means that there's these traditional comedy pieces that are passed down from generation right. to generation. So like some of the, some of the routines I learned were like over a hundred years old. Okay. So you like, so you like take the old traditional routine, but then because it's comedy, you have to like update it for today and you have to make it fit you. Right. So, so like a lot of the fun of doing the traditional Chinese comedy is like, on one hand, it feels really old, which is cool because it is old. Right. But on the other hand, like comedy isn't funny if it's old. So like, you know, how do you do this yeah. comedy that's both how, new and old? How to keep it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as the one white guy, you know, how do you do that as the white right. guy, which is which is also a level of difference that I had to deal with that. Yeah, that I mean, yeah, you're juggling did. a lot of different balls here while you while you do this. You are a foreigner. You are mm. uh, you're also the comedian. You're also trying to keep up to date with this uh, centuries yep. old tradition that they have. So yeah. 
I'm, I'm really curious because this strikes me as something that's very scholarly wherein mm. like when, in the stand-up that we do you just go up on stage and random open mic and then boom yeah. right, right after a few uh, open mics you're already a comedian this yeah, however yeah. seems very different so yeah uh, all of the Chinese stand-ups in the beginning this is what they were confused oh, about because okay. like I would say like they're like what do you they would be like what do you need to do to become a stand-up comedian I'm like do a bunch of mics and they're like but when do you become a stand-up? Because they're thinking of like, there are teachers, there's apprenticeship, right. there's like a way to do it. Right. And then, and like, and I'm like, like, you know, like you can listen to some old great comedians. Don't copy their jokes though. Don't, don't take their traditional jokes and do them again. That's not going to work. Um, right. But like, you could do that or not. You know, like there's really. I mean, very yeah. Little, I mean, um, I, 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 I can see how well it'll go over if a Chinese guy just starts ripping off Chris Rock or something. You know, I had a bizarre <laughs> evening. One of the more bizarre evenings of my whole life was I got invited to a group of Chinese stand-ups way in the beginning of the scene right. where they had gotten the text of like a George Carlin routine and they were right. just reading it to try to do the jokes and see how it was funny, <laughs> but they couldn't pull it off because they're not George Carlin. So they'd be like sitting around the circle and they'd be like, how is it possible that the only women who are against rape are the ones you wouldn't want to rape in the first place. Uh, That's horrible. Like, you know, they're, they're like, how was that even a little bit funny? And then they're like, yeah. they're like, oh, you got another time. Uh, like, you know, yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a whole other conversation. Yeah. 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 And then there's time as well, because like the stuff that was funny 20 years ago in exactly. America, some of it's not funny anymore. Like that probably that joke would be hard to pull off today. Right. Um, exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that you mentioned it, you said you said that you were performing material that's like at least a hundred years old, right? Yeah. So how does that work into like today's modern context? Like, is it harder for you well, to do now, or it's kind of a lot of these routines that have survived that long are kind of like in, in improv, we would almost call it a game. Like, right. there's a shtick, there's something right. going on, and like for instance, one of the routines is called matching New Year's scrolls. So in Chinese New Year, everybody always hangs scrolls outside of their door with seven lines of po seven characters of poetry on them. Right. You know, and then like, you know, this this one matches that one. Right. And then they're supposed to be very like kind of like, you know, festive, but also very like uh, intellectual. Okay. And so one of the old routines is called matching New Year's scrolls where the straight man will give a the first half and then the joker will give the second half and then the, and it's always something ridiculous. Right. And then the straight man says like, wait, like, tell me, how does that character match that one? And they have some convoluted logic for why this whole thing works. Right. Um, so like that game, you can play it with 120 year old poems. Yeah. Or you can say like, OK, those, that's the old stuff. Let's do some 2022 New Year's scrolls. Let's do some American and China mm. New Year's scrolls. Let's do some like, you know, right. uh, I, I spend all day on the Internet New Year's scrolls. Right. And like so and the, the audience loves that because that's both new and refreshing and interesting, but also respectful to the traditional culture. Right. Um, so as long as you um, and this was also one of the good things, it would be harder to be just a random white person in a random club. When I went up there, I would also have a comedy master or at the very least another Chinese comedian with right. me. So when they are comfortable, the audience gets comfortable. And so when I show, I do one of the traditional ones. Well, then they're open to seeing the new stuff. Right. Yeah. 
Right, right. So I'm assuming this this is the more popular form of comedy in China. Like, this is the big thing there, right? Well, it's almost, I mean, stand-up has grown so much that right. arguably you could say that stand-up really has surpassed the traditional style oh, wow. now in okay. the last couple of years. Like the traditional style is, it's it's real. Like in America, like we have like some old comedy styles like vaudeville, which is the, right. the comedy style is very similar to vaudeville. Like right. the, you know, two people on stage, but no one really does vaudeville anymore. Like, there's no club where you can go to see it. In China, right. there are clubs where you can go to see uh, real crosstalk, like traditional comedy shows. But um, there's like there's one kind of brand, I guess you would say it, that's like run by one of the top comedians, Guo Degong. Like his brand of of like crosstalk is like overwhelmingly the biggest in the market. They must have ninety percent of the market. So like. Wow. So like the um, they have been very successful at adapting to the Internet age and like making the performers celebrities and and getting ads and doing huge tours. But like other than them, there are some other smaller brands, but it's not enormous, whereas like right. stand up is really booming. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that are very interested in stand up and um uh, it's just a question of like it's hard to get big in China because you need access to the mainstream media and. Like you can't just as a comedian, like uh, like it's not about just putting together the best comedy show and you get on TV in China. Like there's only a couple companies with the connections to the the right people to be able to get something on. And then if you get too big too fast, you might get blocked. So yeah. it's like really hard to it's really hard to like yeah. make it um, there consistently toe the line of what you can and can't do right. on the mainstream channel, which will allow you to have the fame to make your money elsewhere. Right. And then like, it's a whole kind of like right, uh, right. pile of bricks in order to get, get it to work. Right. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because comedy in general is a very censored art form, like wherever mm. you go. And I'm suspecting that in China, that's even truer because of how, the government is so is that a thing you guys consider when you started doing comedy out there or? i think it's i mean yes and no it's always the way that i i put it this way like you know i really thought a lot about the issues of censorship when i was there obviously being an american that was right. now transported into a new place um i kind of look at the censorship this way all around the world there's always two types of quote-unquote censorship the first is the audience like if the audience boos you off stage like like you know you're getting booed off stage so right. even if you like there was and a lot of the stuff was like that like a lot of people are like oh there's all this stuff that you should say about the party or whatever and i'm like people don't want to hear that anyway like people are not that audience, like people are not paying their money after being stressed all week right. to go and like hear about how everything is horrible, which is weird because Americans will do that. Americans right. love hearing about how America is horrible. It's one of the, the interesting things about Americans. Um, but the um, so like and also similarly in the West, we have this whole question of like cancel culture. Is that OK? Is that not OK? And and for me, it's like if the audience is booing you off stage you got to change your act just right. as an entertainer. That's not, you're not being censored. You can do your act. You'll just continue to be booed off stage. So the, the, the real question comes when like people are kind of more vigilante about it. And like, I would never have gone to that show, but I'm going to try to get them off just because I disagree with them. That I think is a little bit much, but the idea of like 
having to face consequences for what you're saying on stage socially exists everywhere in the world. Right. And and that was always the first thing you worry about because there's no point in trying to get a joke onto TV if no one's laughing in the first place, right? Right. So so that's where I would spend most of my time just trying to think of like, what could I do? Just what would the audience be okay with me doing? And that's partially what's funny. And that's also partially like a racial or cultural element because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that people could say about China if they're Chinese, but I'm not Chinese. So I can't say those things. Um, and that would be, and that's the same uh, here back in the States as well. And then, po but politically, there's an extra level in China where the government has an unusually large say in what does and doesn't get on uh, not just the actual TV, but now increasingly like uh, short media platforms and stuff like that. And so for that, the, the problem is very rarely that stuff gets blocked. The problem right. is just stuff that would go in bad directions doesn't wind up existing. So it's like if you wanted to make a really hard hitting daily show style show, you're not going to find any funders because they're going to be like the better you get at this, the the less chances has of airing. Right. So like so that show just never winds up existing. Right. It's not like it got blocked. It just like the environment is not healthy. It the just soil filters is, it out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the soil is not going to grow that type of plant, you know, right. the um, so and that that is a little bit sad because like I know a lot of really funny comedians in China that, you know, in America, they'll say like, well, Chinese comedy well, well, it must be right. horrible. And I'm like, you don't know these guys. They'd be really funny if they had a little bit more opportunity and they have a little bit more leeway. Right. But you know, the, the, you know, the, uh, the reality is a reality. So, right. you know, people are always a little careful about that, but I, I'd say for my style, it's not a huge problem personally, because I'm not looking to cause problems anyway. Yeah. Like, um, even in my comedy in the States, it's like, yeah. you know, like the whole point of being a comedian, I thought was I get to enjoy my life and not think about like all the horrible things right. in the world yeah, yeah, nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're one of the rare breeds of comedians that brings uh, optimism on stage. Rather I know than it's weird. I'm like, <laughs> it's actually, it's been a little bit of a conflict, like a crisis for me here because I recently moved to LA. Right. And I've been starting to do English comedy here. Right. And I'm like, is 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 I'm like counting on one hand how many jokes I've heard that are not about everything being horrible or about racism. Right. It's like there's nothing left. And I'm like, who is doing comedy that's not about race or America or the world being horrible? Right. And and, yeah. and it's like, it, it, there's not a lot. And then Americans are so caught in this mindset of they're like, well, that's what comedy is. I'm like, no, it's not what comedy is. I lived in other places. They have, everybody has a different idea of what comedy yeah. is. So like, you know, there, there's, um, I, 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 I'm having trouble fitting into the American scene because I just like, don't, right. I'm just like more, I guess it is the optimism. It's just very right. un, un, in right now uh, yeah i but. mean i guess yeah i guess you could say your lens is a little differently colored because of all the time you spent abroad i mean you started doing comedy elsewhere like in a in a non in, in a english as a second language country almost yeah so yeah you know it's, it's going to be different for everybody else right but yeah for, for you you started your your move back uh, to the u.s so Tell us what that was like. Tell us uh... <laughs> my, my 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 move back is a is a very generous way to say what happened. So I right. was uh, I was um, 
coming back for a nine day vacation in January of 2020. And when I left China, COVID was a rumor. And when I landed, it was real. Wuhan <laughs> shut down. Your flight back is canceled. Six weeks later, they canceled my visa. Oh. And I've basically been exiled to the United States um, from China. Like I've tried to get back in for two and a half years. I can't do it. Like they're not open. Uh, doesn't matter. Like, you know, I, I won't waste all your time uh, recalling the process of trying to get the right. visa, but it just sucks. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. basically all my stuff is still there. Mm. And I lived in uh, my parents' house for 18 months, every month thinking next month I'll get the visa. Next month I'll get the visa. Next month I'll get the visa. And um, eventually I just had to realize like, oh, like I live here now. Like, I guess I need to like learn how to be an American again. Um, and so I took a trip to New York and I took a trip to LA and I tried to figure out where I'd want to move. And, um, you know, LA, both LA and New York, I thought were the places that had enough Chinese people and a comedy scene right. that I could try to do comedy and also build the Chinese comedy. I mean, yeah, New York City has uh, the previously mentioned Thurner Sparks. As well yep. as some and, and like a few guys from Hong Kong, I think, dropped by once. Yeah. So yeah. but but even then a lot of these people are just like fully in the English scene. Like, you right. know, I did a Chinese comedy show there and they didn't even know that there was a Chinese group oh, doing okay. the comedy. Like I just started, they just started a couple months ago. So it's not surprising, but it's right. like, but they're, they're all in on the Western comedy scene, so to speak. And, and I feel very torn because I have like two and a half million fans in China. It seems like I shouldn't right. just let that go. Right. Like, you know, but at the same time, I've been caught out for two and a half years and like China's China, like, you know, this could happen again for political right. reasons or for any reason, you know, I could go back after three years to find out that they're like, mm, we really don't want an American doing comedy here. Mm. I'm, well, okay. Well, you, you know, they're in charge of all the keys, you know, right. there's yeah, not yeah, too yeah, much yeah. I can do about that then. So and, and, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you're still just a visitor uh, to their country. I'm still right? a visitor and, yeah. and it's not an immigrant culture. So like they have no yeah. notion of an immigrant, like I can work there, but you know, there's, I can't become Chinese or anything like that on paper or in practice. Right. So, right. so I'm kind of like torn between like, should I, you know, I, I can't give up on the Chinese thing. Um, and I think it's really important, especially with like, you know, China is a horrible, like Chinese, like China is like a horrible, uh, they're, they're so bad at explaining China to non-Chinese people. Right. Like China's reputation abroad is like way worse than it, than like it, it actually is. Yeah. Could be yeah. like, and, and a lot of that is because they're just really bad at sharing their own culture right. to other people. And, and again, politically, this is, this, it's not that their skills are bad. Yeah. They're in a bad system to be able to do it um, because they always have to think about domestic, what they're saying domestically first before they say anything right. internationally. So, um, so I always keep thinking like, you know, it's really important, I think, for people outside of China to know what it's like living in China. And comedy is perfect for that. You right. tell little stories about your your friends and where you go to eat and that bad date you have. And it really humanizes people. And, uh, and China's really in need of that. So I don't want to give up on it. On the other hand, they've made it very, very difficult for me to do what I, what right. I do. I mean, yeah. As somebody who was also stuck outside of his own home country yeah, for a good it was few crazy. months. Yeah, it, this uh, has not been easy for any of us. Com no. Comics, and, yeah. people, you know, just in general. And, and, that's, it's been, 
And yeah. this is the question is like, maybe I just need to like not be so anxious about it and just realize it's a bad time for everybody and eventually things will get better. You know? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, exactly. That maybe you know, that's like that's the improviser in you, I guess, that's saying that, you know, just accepting things I, I as they you, come. Every time I, I have like I always say I have two brains. I have the improv brain and I have the stand-up brain. Yeah. And the improv brain lets me enjoy life and the stand-up brain makes me money. So like they like the problem is it's like the improv, but every time I listen to the improv brain, it's it's right. It's like, you know, the the stand-up brain is like the sort of thing where like you can write a script and actually have a product to deliver to people that they will pay money for. But when you're thinking about like, what should I do with my life? What should I like, you know, what will make me happy today? Like listening to the improv brain is never the wrong choice. Like, you know. Right. Every time I, you know, it's just like you, you got to go by feel a lot of the time and you got to trust your, you got to trust your feel, you know, and the trust is the hard part. Um, but like, you got to trust that you're going to come up with the next line or you're going to, you're going to listen to the world or you listen to your partner on stage, listen to right. the world. And, right, right. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Improv has become such a second skill for, for either of us, I think. Yeah. Because it just allows for so much adaptability. Now, mm-hmm. speaking of your adaptability, you've sort of mm-hmm. pivoted into, into this new world of tea, which yeah. is, it's actually, it's interesting because it ends up on my feed because I follow a lot of different things yeah. on TikTok. And, and I find, I find you, uh, I find a video of yours rather where you're talking about tea and I can't help but think, Hey, wait a minute. I think I know this dude. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, you saw the D video just independently of me yeah, doing on, the comedy. On my, That's on my so funny. Page. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So the T thing was like this. Like, so T was a hobby of mine all that time in China. And uh, especially being a comedian, I had time in the daytime. So I would go and hang out at the tea market in Beijing, the wholesale tea market, which is like three miles long buildings on both sides of the street, you know, just like tea everywhere for like for days. And um and I and the tea people, what I found out was they just sit there all day and talk. So this was like the best language practice I could get because you just sit there all day, drink great tea that they don't even charge you for, and then and then just talk. It was great. Right. Um, wow. And so I found that out when I was first studying abroad. And so I kept going back to the same tea houses. And so I have these like friends that run little tea shops that I had known for like 10 years. And then when I, when the pandemic hit and I realized that I wasn't going to be able to make a living off of doing live shows anytime soon in America or in China, um, I was kind of drinking tea every day and making, trying to make comedy videos, which are getting increasingly less funny as I got more and more upset. And then, (laughs) and, uh, eventually I just started making tea videos because I was like not coming up with anything and the tea videos took off and, um, and people were asking, where can you buy this tea? And I was like, you can't. It's just my friend's little tea shop. And he just sends it right to me. And they're like, oh, can you get me some? And I was right. like, oh, actually, that does sound like a good pitch. So like, even though in the back of my head as a tea guy, I had always kind of dreamed one day of maybe running a tea company. What I didn't understand was that the time is now because the big problem of tea is that Americans and just generally non-Chinese in general, they don't know anything about the Chinese tea tradition. The real problem is one of education and outreach, like how right. to get people to learn about the tea at scale. And that's what TikTok does. Right. So, so like I would make these videos that are like 55 seconds of tea information and then five seconds of, by the way, I have a tea shop right. if you want any. 
And, um, and now that the T account is up to half a million followers. And I, it's funny, I'm like trying to think about putting like tea tasting comedy shows together because if I'm going to sell tickets in America, like the people who know me are my tea audience. Right. <laughs> like, so, it's actually a good so. fit. It's very uh, uh, untraditional. Because yeah. nobody, I don't think America is America a tea country. I mean, I well, this think. is the thing: is America is not thought of as a tea country. But what I think is happening is there's a lot of tea people, but they're just quiet because right. they're going to get yelled at by all the coffee people. Right. And tea people are really chill. Yeah, because because coffee yeah. makes people anxious. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. So like, I think that there's a lot of tea people sitting and having quiet tea time with themselves or their family or their friends. Right. And they're just not loud about it. <laughs> um, but I think that they're out there. And so, you know, and I think that combining that with, with honestly really good tea, like it's some of the best tea you can get in the U S because the tea that I get is the stuff that like Chinese tea heads get. Oh, so okay. if you're into, if you're into tea in China, where do you go? Those are the places that I go. And, right. and, that's like you know that's way better than even like asian supermarket tea yeah which is like in america if you can find an asian supermarket and you buy the tea there it will be way better than lipton yeah. but the stuff i have is even a quite better. a bit step up from that so yeah um yeah so the tea the tea shop is really blown up and it's like it's taking up a lot of my time which is a good thing because it's working yeah um but uh yeah my my and it's actually given me a huge like um like change of mind because like before I was really nervous because I had to get back to China because I had no income. And now right. I'm like, well, let's see, what do I want to do in China? What do I want to do here? I have a little bit more leeway because the tea shop is selling tea and, and I have some income and it's like, I can afford to pay my rent and food off of the tea and I can, the clock is no longer like counting down until right. I have to get a real job, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. And, the, you know, I feel like the, the the real job world that we used to live in isn't even around anymore. Like people yeah. are just have pivoted into low businesses or yeah. like putting themselves out there because that's the kind of thing you realize you need to do after yeah. the pandemic, right? I think that the pandemic definitely eased that along, but like, that's what like, you know, like my mom was a school teacher. She worked at the she worked in the public school system and now right. she's retired and has a, a pension, which is great. But I'm like looking at the state of the way that a lot of things are right. is like, I don't know if it's guaranteed that pension will be there 40 years from now. If I start being a teacher mm -hmm. today, mm -hmm. I think the the systems are pretty messed up and like it's not a guarantee at all. You know, the yeah. and so in, there's not a lot of stability left in the world for people. And like, you know, and the further you get from the sort of heavily industrialized first world countries, the the, the more that's true, I think. Right. So, so like, you know, people in China, my friends there, they knew they were never going to be able to relax and rely on a government retirement fund or whatever. Like right. people in developing countries work hard. They hustle. Right. They, they find a way to use their skills and, and make people money, you know? So so like um, I think that mentality has been very useful back here in the U.S. where like a lot of people would say like we can't start a tea company without a tea house. And I'm like, why not? There's nothing stopping you. Just sell the tea online. <laughs> you, know? Right. Like, you know, like, you know, yeah, so it's um, it's crazy. It's it's the world is not a very stable place. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But again, despite all that, you yourself have found ways to to overcome all of that. So. 
Thank you again, Jesse, for doing this. I try. I appreciate it, man. But you're good. The last question, though, the one thing I have not found that's stable, and I want your advice on, I was going to ask about this, is Yo, how, do I find, how do I find a girlfriend if I don't know what continent I'm going to be on? <laughs> you know, I I think that's why they invented catfishing. I get catfished by all these, like, Chinese women that are not right. real women. They're not, like, real people. They're just right. all these, like, really yeah. whatever, super skinny, giant yeah. boob Chinese women. Yeah. And they're all, like, hi. And I'm like, hey, you're you know, And then everybody else, and then they just block me immediately. And I'm like, you are not a Chinese lady, are you? Yeah. Um, no, I bet. I bet. Because on Tinder out here in the Philippines, Oh yeah, a lot of it has been flooded by Chinese bots that try oh, to get yeah? you in crypto schemes. So, oh, my I gosh. Mean, oh God, the what a what a what a world, man! Like yeah, you know, yeah. maybe I need to date the people running the bots. Hey, that's one way to look at it. Maybe it, then it, it'll help you with your team business, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we could sell crypto tea or whatever crypto tea. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> to NFTs. That was an yeah. Idea. There we go. The NFTs. We got uh, there. Hey. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, there was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, let me know if you ever, have, uh, if you are ever coming to LA for sure. Let me know. For sure. Hit for sure. Up. I will. I will. Uh, a lot of fun. But, but thank you again, Jesse Appel. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, man. Sure. Um, like, as I said, I kind of have the two things. If you want to find the comedy, uh, you can search on TikTok. It's Jesse Chinese comedy. If you search Jesse Chinese comedy or white guy Chinese comedy, you'll probably find me. Right. Um, <laughs> and then the tea brand is Jesse's Tea House. So it's just Jesse Seahouse on all the platforms, except for TikTok, where I'm your tea guy. But if okay. you search Jesse Seahouse, you'll find it. And that's if you like, even if you don't like tea, the videos are really chill. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, whatever food porn is for tea. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, I, I love it because you, you just go into so much detail with tea. Like, I, I am a very casual tea drinker. I only mm. drink boba. That's it. Yeah. And that's really shitty at, at best, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. I like boba, though. It's just like a different thing. It's like American Chinese food and Chinese food. Right. They're, they're like, they're different. Yeah. You know? right. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of trying to do some sort of like fancy boba thing or like what? Oh, I'd be interested. What would happen if you made boba tea with the, with the really good make? tea with the with my my, my teas? I mean, I, I should try. I should. uh do some, um, you know, trials with that. I think that would be fun. I mean, that would that would probably work, and then you can charge people like fifty bucks for it. <laughs> well, that was the, the thing I was trying to think. But like the thing is, the real the real problem. I was thinking about this. I don't think it's the money for the tea. It would be more expensive, right? But it's really just the time of like, how do you get the steep time right when you're doing eight different drinks? Yeah, with and all like the you know, like. And you syrups, need like some weirdo yeah. timer system automated yeah. like bullshit. I don't think it would work. Um, I mean, so. uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as we, I'd like to knock baristas. They they do one hell of a job with the yeah. Those the boba. Too. Yeah, let's yeah yeah give a pour out a a, a shot for yeah. the, the people at the boba stand. A, sh a, a shot of brown sugar syrup. <laughs> a shot of yeah, <laughs> a shot of brown sugar or whatever. <laughs> hey, thanks again, Jesse Appel. Good stuff. See you around. And 
that does it for this week's episode of the Class Clown Podcast. I'd like to thank my guest for this episode, Jesse Appel. I'd also want to give a special shout out to the people at uh, Mambo Manila, which is a Cebu Lechon company that sent me food a while back. Thank you so much to Joey and the rest of at Mambo Manila. Mambo.mnl on Instagram. If you want your pork fixings, check them out on Instagram at Mambo Manila. And check me out as I do my first hour special. That is right. More details on that as the weeks progress. But I am doing my first one hour special, August 26th. That is a Friday, 8 p.m., Cinema 76 QC. Tickets at 5 Hundred pesos. It'll be me. It'll be Doc Ramon Cabuchan opening for me. And it'll be other surprise guests. Who will those guests be? Well, it is a surprise. And you have to go there and find out. So again, August 26, 8 p.m. Cinema 76 QC. And that does it for me on the Class Clown Podcast. Again, for all the links that you I talked about check out my link tree it's in the description below but until next time this has been a podcast network asia production powered of course by pod members. my name is chino leao goodbye The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.